Good morning, everyone. My name is Lucky Omar, the pastor's here. It's really my great joy and privilege to be here back at Bishan. And I'm completely dumbfounded by so many of you here. Yeah. So don't worry, I'm still as nervous. Let's go to God in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time when we can open your word. Help us to take each of such moments to see it as a moment of your grace, a privilege to encounter your truth and your eternal life. And may your life reside in us so that we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Title for today's sermon is called The Profound Simplicity of Love. So about 10 years ago, I watched a comedy called Chutney Chalk to China. In the first slide, Chutney Chalk to China, this is a movie from Bollywood. It's actually a love letter from Bollywood to the Hong Kong Kung Fu cinema. See, the show is about a small village in China oppressed by an evil tyrant. And the villagers in that village, they are waiting and waiting for a Kung Fu savior to fight off their enemies. They're waiting for one. But little did they know, the hero did not come from China, but the hero came from India as a cook in a town of Chanichok in one of the busiest markets in Delhi, in India. And so by a twist of fate, this cook with no Kung Fu was somehow drawn in the adventure and led him to China. And so when he arrived in China, he chanced upon an evil tyrant and he was beaten up. And later, he found a shifu who trained up in Kung Fu. So there was this usual scene, you know, a typical Hong Kong movie, of this punching clay wine bottles and being tortured by his master. And finally, victoriously, there was this scene of him trained up, able to do high kicks and jumping along the Great Wall of China. And so with his newfound skills, this cook went back to the village to confront the evil tyrant. But the enemy was still way too powerful. So the cook was completely defeated again. And just when he was about to give up, he remembered what his master had taught him. This line, the master said, Fear not a thousand moves practiced only once, but fear the one move practiced a thousand times. And just then, he remembered back in India, he was chopping vegetables and making bread for many hours. So he started using his vegetable chopping moves on the enemy and started using the bread making move on the enemy. So vegetable, 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 chapati, chapati, chapati. And in one stroke practice a thousand times, he managed to defeat the evil tyrant and became the savior of the village. So my friends, fear not a thousand moves practiced only once. Fear the one move practiced a thousand times. End of sermon. Amen. No, seriously, but after watching the show, I asked myself this question. What is the one move practiced a thousand times for Christians? What is the one stroke that we all need to master? According to the 4th century theologian Jerome, he recorded that the Apostle John was very old and very frail at his last days, and he was unable to walk. So he had to be carried by his disciples to the weekly gathering. And every week, you will say the same thing to the congregation. He said, little children love one another. And this went on week after week. And at last, the disciples could not stand it any longer. So they asked him, teacher, why do you always say this? John replied, because it is the Lord's command 
And if it's, this is done, it is enough. For the Apostle John, the one stroke that Christians had to practice a thousand times is love one another. And for John, this love has to do with the belief in Jesus. So let us take a look at this passage to see what he says about this. Verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. See here, John says that those who believe in Jesus are born, born again of God. They are a new person. They suddenly can love the Father as well as the fellow believers. A new humanity is born through the belief in Jesus. A new family is formed. Then John continues in verse 3. In fact, he says, this is love for God, to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So when I was a young man, I found relationships to be burdensome. To be honest, I wanted freedom from my family, from the constant nagging and the expectations they had for me. And I also wanted to prove myself to the world. So when the opportunity came for me, for a poor boy like myself, to study overseas, I took the chance. Even it meant to be in a country that does not speak English. So when I was overseas, at the same time, because I was an older student, I did not defer my national service compared to my peers. So I find relating to others very difficult, a test to my patience. Sometimes I found that the conversation is a bit shallow, but in short, I was so proud. I did not know how to love. For me, love was burdensome. So I decided to move away and live by myself and focus on my studies instead. However, studying a new language was tough and I was not able to make new friends easily because my classmates didn't speak English. So whenever I returned to my studio, my flat, soundproofed by its double glazed windows, there the silence was deafening. And there was only that much I could distract myself from my loneliness. And very soon, I felt like I was drowning, drowning in a sea of emptiness that I no longer existed as a person. At raging within me, however, at the same time, there was what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. Because these are the natural desires of our body, good things that God gave us, but they are now out of control because our human nature is broken by sin. 1 John chapter 2, 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, this lust of the flesh, according to John, has two parts. The first part is lust of the eyes, and the second part, the pride of life. The lust of the eyes means that we are trying to maximize our happiness in this world that we can see the world that we can see and not the world by faith. And the pride of life refers to the arrogance that comes from us because we can achieve from our achievements and our possessions. The bag that you carry is not enough if you can carry your possessions because the bag must carry a logo now. Being all alone, I could not achieve my pride of life, but at the same time, I could not control the lust of my eyes. And so to deal with this loneliness and lack of achievement, I plunged into a spiritual path 
of denying my craving for pleasures and denying my desire for companionship. So I had to do some mental gymnastics. I told myself that the concept of self, you know, self is illusory. You see, because our human bodies, it is said that every 80 to 100 days, all the cells within our bodies, 33 trillion, all the cells will have died and replenished. In other words, every three months, you are no longer the same person you were, according to your cells. So obviously, myself is not found in the body, which is the constant state of flux. And secondly, I observe my thoughts. My thoughts are also changing all the time. Over time, I could even speak and dream in different languages, and my preferences and my moral values change too. So the me, myself inside me, my mind, is no longer the same. Myself could not be found in my mind either. So for a short time, this denial of self in my body, in my mind, it helped to take away my pain of loneliness. But over time, it only aggravated my thirst, my desire for companionship, my need to be related, to be respected, and my quest to find acceptance in this world. So being fixated to deny myself, to control my desires, ironically, my life is still all about myself, moi. Being obsessed about me, I became even more selfish. And because I was so fixated by myself, I could no longer relate. I will find relationship burdensome. And so by the time I returned to Singapore six years later, I felt depressed and empty. I could not overcome the world. In fact, I was overcome by everything in the world. And by God's grace, some friends brought me to a church, to many churches, and then finally to ERPC. And the first sermon here hits me like a ton of bricks. One line, remember, it says this, ultimate reality is found in relationships, and the ultimate relationship is found between God and man. That was like a face palm moment in my life for my quest for spiritual enlightenment. You see, I spent years denying the reality itself in my body and my mind that there was a blind spot that I couldn't see. The blind spot is the ultimate reality, yes, not in your body, not in your mind, but it is in relationships. And because of the blind spot, try as I could, I could never overcome the world within me, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And which is why, although I needed relationships, I will always find relationships burdensome because the world is controlling me. So who is saving me? Who could save me from this wretched state? Listen to Apostle John in verses 4 to 5. He says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he asked, why would believing that Jesus is the Son of God help us overcome the world? This is where we turn to verse 6. Verse 6, it says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. So to understand this cryptic verse, we need to know the background of the letter. See, the false teachers then, during John's time, they denied that Jesus was God incarnated as man. 
For them, Jesus came only by water, which means he became, he was an ordinary man, but he became a spiritual man at his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended on him. And before that, he was just a normal person. And then when he died on the cross, the Spirit of Christ left him, and then he became an ordinary person. So the conclusion of this false teaching asks, what's so attractive? The conclusion is this, when we deny that Jesus is God, then he's just an ordinary man who received some spiritual power and became divine, which means he is our model to emulate, which means we can also become like God. We somehow, through some special knowledge, we can overcome and become God by ourselves. The false teaching is man becoming God. This is a spiritual version, my friends, of the pride of life. To somehow attain some spiritual achievements that we can boast. It is the lust of the flesh, the desires of the world, but with Christian vocabulary. So what was John's version of the gospel? Fast forward about 10 years later, after I became a believer, I started working in church here as an intern. So in my first week, I sat down with Pastor Chris, the senior pastor, and he started telling me, you know, he shared his heart, the most important thing he felt about ministry. He said, Lak Yong, it is all about love. I was younger and cocky. I would stop myself from bursting, bursting out in laughter when I heard that. In my mind, I was like, come on, lah, tell me something more chim, more profound. I mean, love it's given, right? Say something more profound. So I was holding back my snigger, but I could see that he was holding back his anger. <laughs> he could notice it, but thank God he practiced what he preached. He displayed love, patience, and restraint. But a few years later, our church organized an evangelistic dinner for the Mandarin-speaking folks. And so thankfully, my parents came along to the dinner, but however, at one point, my father's health, when he was still alive, he was still not very good, right? He had incontinence, he could not control. So after dinner, he was rushing to the toilet, the church toilet by himself, but he was too slow, he was old. So he sawed himself in the entire toilet. So needless to say, it was a great embarrassment for him because his pants were all dirty and smelly. At the same time, the toilet was dirty and so the foul stench was filling up the whole corridor and the guests were all visibly affected. Then you see children running around, making faces and then sounds of disgust. So the first thing we are going to do is to quickly send him home and clean him up. So luckily, my sister just arrived on time to drive him back. And after they left, then my wife Esther and myself said, okay, let's go back, let's clean the church. So I went to my cubicle, changed my nice shirt into an old t-shirt no one of those church came extra. And then <laughs> we slowly went to the janitor's push cart, look, make sure all the mops and the cleaning equipment are there. And all the while, to be honest, I was dragging my feet and holding my breath. I, I could still remember the stench. Now, honestly, love was burdensome. But strangely, by the time we reached the toilet, there was no more smell. Instead, we saw one of our church brothers cleaning up the toilet. He was a middle-aged man. He was still wearing his perfectly, nicely ironed white shirt. Long sleeve shirt, long pants with shiny leather shoes. And he cleaned up the whole toilet with his hands, without gloves, 
with just paper towels and hand soap while wearing his nice clothes. When he saw us, he just gave us the biggest smile. He said, it's okay, don't worry, don't worry. For this brother, love was not burdensome. When we saw that smile, when we smelled how clean the toilet was, we were so moved by the sight that Esther, my wife, she broke down and cried. She sobbed so much that people around her thought that I bullied her. <laughs> now, I can still remember the scene, the man's smile, and how clean his clothes were at the same time, how clean the toilet was. No one would imagine that the toilet was previously filled with dirt and stench just minutes ago. Then it hit home to me. It is all about love. See, John's version of the gospel is about God becoming man, not man becoming God. Out of his great love for us, God became man. The Son of God, born as man, who came by water and by blood, because he took on our flesh so that he could represent us on the cross. We should have died on the cross, but he took our place. Verse 10 of chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He is the spotless, perfectly clean, sinless Lamb. But He washed away all the filth, all the stench of the sins of my life so that I can have His perfect righteousness. And once we are declared clean, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, pouring out God's love into our hearts. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So for those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away our sins, we will receive the Father's love as a gift of the Holy Spirit within us. And when you're filled with that kind of love, you cannot help but take your eyes away from yourselves and you start looking to God. We can now die to our selfish dreams. We can now say no to the lust of the flesh and obey God's command of love and find that it's no longer cumbersome or burdensome. Because God is love and God lives in us and His love overflows from us. So, chapter 5, verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So now we have seen, we have seen that belief in Jesus as the Son of God, the one who came by water and blood, can help us overcome the world so that we can love one another. At the same time, the fruit of this belief is also eternal life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So loving one another and eternal life for John are two sides of the same coin. What do I mean? You see, verse 13 says that the Apostle John wrote all these things in his letter so that those who believe may know they have eternal life. Now, Eternal life starts now upon a belief, not something to wait until the future. 
Going back to the letter, the beginning of the letter, we see he wrote the same thing. John proclaimed that the eternal life in Jesus himself, so that the recipients of the words of the letter will have fellowship with John and the apostles, and then together they have fellowship with God, God the Father and God the Son. So let me read for us, verses, one, uh, verses 2 to 3 from chapter 1. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, and our fellowship, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So let me put this in a diagram form so it's easier for you, right? So if you put eternal life and loving one another together, side by side, this is a diagram. So you see, the apostles are the we of the letter and you are the readers, the next generation. And the apostles are inviting us by believing in Jesus, there's a fellowship with God himself through God the Son. So you click. So firstly, we believe that fellowship with one another that Jesus helped us overcome the world. And now we're able to fellowship. Love no longer burdensome. And then secondly, as to move up, as John mentioned, this fellowship is also with the Father, the God, and with the Son, to Jesus' Son, who became man. And then you move up, God, who is one, yet He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you notice the Trinity, there's eternal perfect love with one another. There's a fellowship within God Himself. And all this we access through Jesus the Son by believing in Him. Which is why when we love one another as Christians, through believing in Jesus, we enter what we call the ultimate reality. Remember, the ultimate reality is not found in this world that is passing away. But the ultimate reality is found in a relationship with God. When we love one another through Jesus, the eternal life and the eternal love of God in that Trinity breaks into our temporal reality. We touch heaven when we love one another. John chapter 17, verse 3, this is what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they, the disciples, may know you, God the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you know God, his love, and you believe in Him, you have eternal life expressed as love. So we take a step back and think about all these, all the emotional pains in life. Just recall the pains you have in life. They are due to what? They are due to relational problems. Trauma occurs when we suffer under a bully or overbearing person. Lack of trust occurs, takes root in our hearts when we are betrayed or neglected by those who are supposed to take care of us. Fears of condemnation occurs, hangs around our head when we are being abused at one time, too many. But the good news is, my friends, healing can take place when one takes the step of faith to join the group with healthy relationships, powered by the love of God. When you enter into that eternal life, healing can take place. Growth can take place through the nurturing love of the Spirit. 
The perfect love of God, John says, casts out all condemnation and fears through His Son, Jesus. So this means that what we have here in a Christian gathering is precious. Don't ever take it for granted. It has much potential to do good and help others. In fact, as we have seen through the video just now. However, we have to guard it carefully because if we start to flirt with the world while having the love of God, if we start to cultivate the love of the world still within our hearts, then we are reinserting the worldly desires back into our fellowship. And that's how cults happen. Which is why John exhorted us to pray against this. Verse 16, he says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Verse 16. In this letter's context, a sin that leads to death is to deny Jesus as the Son of God, to reject his offer of life as a Savior. Thus, a brother who commits a sin that does not lead to death, it simply means he's a fellow believer who believes in Jesus, but he struggles with the love of the world. In other words, Christians, when we come together, we don't sit around and complain about one another. Instead, out of love for one another, we come together to pray for one another, to guard the fellowship that we have from the effects of the world. And we have confidence when we pray for this because we know this is according to God's will to protect His people from the evil one. Now, now that we understood the dynamics of love, where there are two kinds of love in this world that are battling for our hearts, the love for God and the love for the world. Verse 19, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. With this understanding, we begin to see how the Bible redefines love. So let me continue the stories of ministry that I learned. So once a young man walked into our church, and he asked for money. So he showed me this letter to say that he already found a job, but he only received his salary, his pay, his first paycheck, two weeks later. At the same time, he was taking care of his sick uncle. So in the meantime, he just needed some money to help him through the first two weeks until he get his paycheck. So in response, I gave him benefit of doubt. I said, okay, I will not give him any cash, but I offered to walk him to the MRT station top up his MRT card, then he can travel to work. Then I tried to buy as many dry rations we can find from the 7-Eleven store, bread, instant noodles, so at least have some food for the next few days. And then we shared with him the gospel and prayed with him. Then, less than two weeks, about a week later, he came back. He told me that he needed more money. So I asked him, why aren't you working? His reply, he said, ah, the job wasn't suitable for him. He didn't like it, and so he quit before he even could be paid. I was like, stunned. You mean you've foregone your salary? He <laughs> said, yeah, yeah, because I want to find another job that will suit me better. Then he took the money I put in his MRD card to take the train all the way to church to ask me for more money to put in the MRD card. By now, a pastor saw that I was visibly upset. He came, sat one side, prayed with the young man, and then we refused to give him any more money. What did I learn? 
Well, I learned that love requires patience and perseverance. But at the same time, I learned that Christian love is not about giving people everything they want. That's not the love that John is talking about here. That's cheap love. It's always easy to play Santa Claus. Trust me. Just to feel good about ourselves. Just to feel needed. It's always easy to do charity. But it doesn't build up the dignity of the recipient and develops a sense of dependence. That's toxic charity. Real Christian love is tough love. It's not to give them what they want all the time, but to do the hard work ourselves and together with them of praying, helping them to see their need to overcome the world in their life, to say no to the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and that together both the giver and the receiver grows to be more Christ-like and give glory to God. So when we love one another, we have to pray. It is a spiritual battle to help each other overcome the world. No one is immune to this. No pastor, no elder, no deacon, no church member is immune to this. Pray for one another to overcome the world. And we pray because we recognize that we cannot do it on our own. We need God's help. But the reality is, some of you might be thinking, Sometimes, we really don't feel like praying for a particular person in church or persons or group of persons. What is the obstacle that prevents us from praying for them who are in sin? Is it not because of the pain they have inflict, inflicted on us? Is it not because we have not yet forgiven them? Is it not because we are unable to love them and pray for them because we are afraid to suffer again? You who have overcome the world, you who are the children of God, hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.44 But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Brothers and sisters, the hard lesson I learned that if you truly want to love, one day you will come that you have to learn how to forgive, just as how the Lord has forgiven us. This is what makes Christian love so simple and yet so difficult. So recently, over the internet, you know, when I was bored, I found a few interesting road signs. It's the first one, it says here. The inventor of autocorrect died. The funnel will be held tomato. <laughs> and there's a funeral will be held tomorrow, right? So by the way, the autocorrect was invented in 1993, so the inventor hasn't died yet. And here's another sign, another sign that I permit you to use, to use it for me, wherever you find my sermon boring. It says here, a yawn is a silent scream for coffee. Well, all these signs reminded me of a time when I was struggling with the guilt of my own sins, when I needed forgiveness. And I was in a vehicle and a bus and we went past a church building and there's a big banner and says this, 
Forgiveness means never having to pretend anymore. Forgiveness means never having to pretend anymore. It means you can sit down with a brother who has offended you and you don't have to pretend it never happened, the pain, because you have forgiven each other deeply. When we are truly forgiven, when we gather together, isn't it wonderful that heaven descends on earth? Let me tell you a true story about another sign, road sign, that was placed all over a province in China. China Inland Mission, CIM, the old name of OMF, was a fellowship of missionaries. They were reaching out to the Chinese in the 19th and 20th century. And they were set up to go to China to share the gospel. But it was a very difficult time to evangelize Chinese then. Why? Because after the Second Opium War in 1860, China was defeated shamefully by all the foreigners. And so foreign missionaries at the same time were also granted the power, the freedom to preach and to buy land in China to build churches. And so this led to grievances against the missionaries. They saw missionaries with the foreign powers and they blamed the missionaries for bad influence and for angering the local gods. And so that started what we call the Boxer Rebellion in 1900. The Boxer Rebellion is about Chinese Kung Fu practitioners taking out arms and killing foreigners among them. And some of these foreigners who survived, they were robbed and stoned and traumatized. CIM, the mission agency itself, it lost 58 missionaries. 58 missionaries died. And 21 children died. When the fighting ended, the Chinese lost once more. And this time, the Chinese had to offer reparations, compensation for the things they destroyed. The missions director at CIM then was this guy called D.E. Host. She read by his life. He submitted a statement of the losses to the Chinese governor, all that they lost. But he insisted, insisted that no compensation would be claimed or accepted by CIM. The Chinese governor, as well as the foreign powers then, they were dumbfounded. It was unbelievable. They lost buildings, they lost lives. It was unbelievable that someone would not accept any compensation. But host insisted on his decision not to accept any reparation. And in the end, on 11th October 1901, this is what the governor of Shanxi did. Shanxi, he issued an edict and to be placed on signs, road signs throughout the province where CIM had worked and suffered. And this is what the sign said. The mission in rebuilding these churches with its own funds aims in, do, in so doing to fulfill the command of the saviour of the world, that all men should love their neighbours as themselves. I charge you all, those of you who are fathers, to exhort your sons, and those who are elder sons, to exhort your younger brothers, to bear in mind the example of Pastor Host, who is able to forbear and forgive as taught by Jesus to do so, the governor of Shanxi. From one act of forgiveness, the gospel was proclaimed by the Chinese themselves throughout the province. Indeed, my friends, do not underestimate the one stroke practiced a thousand times 
Enemies can only be won over by love. This is the profound simplicity of love. And so if Chan Ni Chok to China is Bollywood's love letter to Hong Kong's Kung Fu cinema, then the book of 1 John is John's love letter to God's love. Because when we love one another, the way Jesus loves us, the invisible God is now made visible through the body of Christ, the church. And because when we love one another here on earth, the eternal love of God breaks into a temporal reality. So brothers and sisters, keep loving one another because the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let us go to God in prayer. Now, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these five weeks where we've gone through the book of First John. For the repeated emphasis of your love, not cheap love, but a love that's costly to you. Help us, Lord, for us to remember this and to cherish this and to live this out by loving one another and loving our enemies. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.